Today we begin a sermon series through the book of Nehemiah. And to begin, I, I want to give some context. It's generally believed that the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one unified work. Ezra is about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah is about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So Ezra is concerned with holiness in the temple, and Nehemiah is concerned with holiness in the city, in society. If you'll recall, we just wrapped up a six-week survey of the book of Revelation. And in the final chapters, we were given a vision of the new Jerusalem, and we were invited to begin building it by worshiping faithfully, by witnessing boldly, and by working diligently. And so Nehemiah is a fitting follow-up to Revelation because Nehemiah is all about building a new Jerusalem. Nehemiah is often preached whenever uh, churches launch capital campaigns and building projects. And that's that's a legitimate thing to do. But the downside is that we tend to miss the bigger picture. If we limit the applicability of Nehemiah to literal brick and mortar, we will tend to miss that Nehemiah prefigures the building of a much greater city. And that city is the new Jerusalem envisioned in the book of Revelation. And so while the the book of Nehemiah may well inspire us to give more and to serve more, our church is not raising support for a building project. Rather, we will be applying the book of Nehemiah to our society as a whole and the posture we as Christians ought to have within it. The events of Nehemiah occurred during what is commonly called the Second Temple Period. And I think the importance of this period is often overlooked. This was truly one of the most formative periods in Jewish history. As we saw last year in the book of Esther, God was very much at work in the second temple period. He was very much advancing his purposes. In 587 BC, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and took the people of Israel into exile. They had no king, they had no temple, they had no priesthood. And so the Israelites were forced to reimagine what faithfulness to God would have to look like. How do we worship without a temple? What does, how do we live holy lives in a foreign land? But then, those Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And the events of the book of Nehemiah take place as the people of Israel are living within the Persian Empire. And this shift from Babylon to Persia turned out to be, ultimately, a positive thing. Because God was working through the Persian government to accomplish his purposes. You see, the the Persian Empire was a pluralistic empire. A wide variety of cultures were integrated into a single empire, and each of those nations was encouraged to practice its own religion. They were encouraged to pray for the Persian emperor, but to pray for him to their respective gods. And so whereas the Babylonian Empire destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem, the Persian Empire commissioned and even funded the rebuilding of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Again, God was working through the Persian government to accomplish his purposes. In fact, in Ezra chapter 1, we are explicitly told that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord stirred up 
the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. And so God is guiding the narrative. God is the true sovereign king over world affairs. In fact, if we jump back to the book of Isaiah, the Persian king Cyrus is actually mentioned there by name 150 years before he became king. And so Cyrus may not have been aware, but his actions were fulfilling biblical prophecy and advancing God's purposes. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22. This is the same language we just saw in Ezra. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Remember, this is a Gentile king. You would expect this from a Jewish king, but Cyrus is not a Jew. The emperor of Persia, stirred in his spirit by God, decides to rebuild the holy city. The entire project is subsidized by the Persian government. And this decree from King Cyrus is what sets in motion the events of Ezra and Nehemiah. And again, this is a major development in the history of God's people. This is is a very important time. You see, apart from the work of Ezra, there would have been no temple for Jesus to visit. And apart from the work of Nehemiah, there would have been no Jerusalem for Jesus to visit. And so the New Testament would make no sense. These are foundational things. These events are setting the stage for the Messiah. These events are foundational to the world that we encounter in the Gospels, the world of the New Testament. All right, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Ezra has rebuilt the temple at this point, but the holy city surrounding the temple is still in ruins. How can we relate this to our own day? If we look around at the state of the church in 2022, it's not at all controversial to suggest that the walls of our holy city are in disrepair. All is not well. On one hand, some Christians have capitulated to the surrounding culture as if the holy city of God doesn't need walls. Rather than leading the nations by the light of the Lamb, we are being led by the nations into the darkness. And on the other hand, some Christians who have not capitulated with the culture imagine themselves to be engaged in an all-out culture war in defense of traditional values. And that's a perspective which, of course, has its own problems. But no matter where we fall on that spectrum, we should be turning first 
to the Scriptures to determine how the people of God ought to respond. So what can the book of Nehemiah teach us about the city we are being called to build? What principles can we draw from the book of Nehemiah to guide our engagement with the world around us? When the city of God is in ruins, what is the proper biblical posture? That is the basic question we'll be asking over the next few months. When the city of God is in ruins, what is the proper biblical posture for us to take? Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah responds to the news with extended weeping, mourning, fasting, and prayer. His passion for the kingdom of God ought to inspire each and every one of us. Nehemiah is not a priest. He doesn't get paid to care about the kingdom of God. As we will see, he is a layperson working for the Persian government, but he is nonetheless well-versed in the Scriptures and passionate about building the city of God. Nehemiah has a positive vision for what the city of God should look like. He doesn't just resign himself to all the chaos and destruction as though things are supposed to be bad. He is heartbroken to the point of action, and his heartbreak is rooted in a biblical zeal for the city of God. And we'll, we see this clearly in the way that he prays. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. This prayer from Nehemiah is a wonderful example for us. He doesn't blame Israel's enemies. He doesn't blame the Persian king. Nehemiah begins by repenting, both personally and corporately. He repents for himself, and he repents on behalf of all the people. Okay, he repents for himself and for all the people. Question, have you repented before God for what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention? Or the Roman Catholic Church? Or the Episcopal Church? Or our church? Did the Mars Hill podcast lead you to repentance? If you're like me, the answer is no. But if you're like Nehemiah, the answer would be yes. And notice, he even takes responsibility for the sins of previous generations, the sins of his father's house. This does, this does not come naturally for American Christians. Why should I repent for something somebody else did? Why should the 21st century church repent for the sin of slavery? That was 200 years ago. This is a failure to understand how God relates to his covenant people. If you think about it, we don't, 
We don't have a problem identifying with past generations when it's something that we're proud of. We want to distance ourselves from the practice of slavery, but then we'll talk about that time that we won the Revolutionary War. And you can, you can see this when we talk about sports. Um, it would not sound strange to hear a 30-year-old man say, it's been 40 years since we won the Super Bowl. Not only did he contribute nothing to that Super Bowl win, but he wasn't even born yet. But that doesn't stop him from identifying with the past. Why? Because he wants to. And so, yeah, Nehemiah is right to do this. He is right to repent on behalf of previous generations. And he is right to claim that sin as his own sin. In fact, God wants Nehemiah to do this. After all, Nehemiah was not experiencing exile on account of his personal sins. Nehemiah was experiencing exile on account of the sins of previous generations. And so if the church today is in disrepair, we need to fully understand why. We need to look at both the present and the past, and we need to repent for all of it. Now, having repented, what does Nehemiah ask God to do? Verse 8. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. So Nehemiah's prayer here is drawing on a number of different biblical uh, promises, including Deuteronomy 30 and 1 Kings 8. I'm not going to turn there right now, but it's worth noting, it's worth noting that Nehemiah knows the Bible. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, quote, Nehemiah knows the Bible, and he is, he is able to apply the promises of the Bible to his own situation. You see, God had promised to restore the exiles. They just needed to repent and call upon his name. And so Nehemiah is reminding God of that promise, and he's asking God to keep that promise. So the book of Nehemiah, is not, it's not just a story about a natural-born leader rebuilding a wall. The book of Nehemiah fits squarely within the biblical narrative, and it's actually moving the ball forward. The Jews are the people with whom God has made a covenant. And the covenant promises reach all the way back to the book of Genesis and all the way forward to the book of Revelation. The book of Nehemiah is more than just a story from which we can draw helpful applications. The book of Nehemiah is our history. It's part of how we came to be worshiping in this building in Houston, Texas in 2022. It's our history. And so if we want to be restored, if we want God to lift us up, if we want to rebuild what is broken down, we're going to have to get low before the face of God. We will have to humble ourselves. We will have to own the reality of our own sin and the sins of others 
and the sins of our fathers. Repentance is the first step in the journey toward restoration. That's why repent was the first word Jesus preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was himself following in the footsteps of Nehemiah. Jesus also wept and mourned over the state of Jerusalem. We just read that in Luke chapter 19. Jesus also took responsibility for sins that he did not himself commit. And of course, Jesus humbled himself. He made himself low to the point of death. And just like Nehemiah, because Jesus made himself low, God raised him up and all the people with him. And so if we want to see the city of God rebuilt in our generation, we will have to make ourselves low and take responsibility for the sorry state of things. But again, we will not be able to accurately assess the damage if we do not know the Bible like Nehemiah knew the Bible. You may know the roster and the stats and the AAA prospects of the Houston Astros, but do you know the book of Nehemiah? You may have an Instagrammable sense of fashion and decor, but do you know how God wants to use you to build His city? If not, that's largely on me and your other pastors. But each of us has to take some responsibility. Do you love the church and the kingdom of God? Do you want to see it advance in your lifetime? Do you want the strength of character to face a desperate situation and know exactly what God wants you to do about it? Do you want Nehemiah's passion? Then feast. Then feast upon the Scriptures. Fill your heart and your mind with biblical truth. Know the promises of God. And then call upon Him to keep those promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign king over everything, all world affairs. And even when you seem distant, even when we wonder why you are permitting certain things, you are nonetheless in control. You are nonetheless guiding the narrative. Jesus, thank you for taking responsibility for sins you did not commit. Our sins. We will literally be eternally grateful. Holy Spirit, fill us with your truth, the truth of the Scriptures, and give us Nehemiah's zeal for the broken down city of God. Give us a vision. Give us a positive vision for rebuilding it in our day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.